0: Check, one, two, check, check. All right. Um, thank you. Just, I, I just did. Thank you. <laughs> uh, the problem that we're seeing right now, at least in, from my point of view, <clears throat> is that some people in our country don't feel like they're getting justice the same way other people in our country get justice. And... Uh, that's really not a new. That's really not a new problem. You can you you're free to disagree with me if you feel like that's the problem. That seems like an obvious. That's one of the obvious problems. Like why are people so mad right now? Because they feel like justice that some people in our country get, they're not getting the same way. Uh, I tend to agree. You don't have to read the news too many times, right? Uh, to see that. Uh, certain segments of our society get the worst end of the thing. They seem to get it over and over again. And uh, that's not not right. And God saw that the lack of justice in a society would be a problem from the very beginning. Like this is not a, a new problem. So I want to take you back in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 23. So I want to go way back to the... Second book of the Bible, where the Lord is, hasn't even barely got Israel out of, the, out of Egypt yet. They're nowhere near the promised land. And he wants them to love and trust him, and they won't do it. And so he's got to give a bunch of laws to rein in their wicked hearts. And they don't want to do that either, so he's got to give them more laws and more laws. Like, in other words, all these laws are because the human heart is having a problem loving God and loving its neighbor, so all these laws get piled on, and one of them is in Exodus chapter twenty-three, verse six, and it's it's in a list of what what feels like kind of random random laws or random instructions, but there's actually like a, a set of them that all that all go together, starting way back in way back in Exodus twenty-one. Uh, but I'm looking at Exodus twenty-three, verse six: You shall not pervert the justice that's due to your needy brother in his dispute. You shall not pervert justice that's due your needy brother, right? So there's going to be somebody in need and you, what's the command here? You need to do justice for them. You shall not twist justice. You shall not apply justice differently to the needy person than you would to somebody else. And why does God have to make a commandment about that? because he knows that crap's coming, right? That stuff is in the heart of man. And so he has to make a command against it, that some people in a society would not get justice where others would. And if you read the story of the Old Testament, typically it's the poor, it's the needy, it's the uh, foreigner, it's the person who with a different skin color that comes from a different place, that's the one that gets screwed. That's consistent. It's In the the story of the Old Testament, it's never the majority. It's never those in power. It's never those with authority that get screwed out of justice. It's always the other people. So the Lord has to make a commandment. You shall not twist justice for the needy. Um, Flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 16. This is two books over to your right. I just want to show you that the Lord sees and knows what is in the heart of man and that justice for all people is not in the heart of man by nature. This is Deuteronomy chapter 16, excuse me, verses 19 and 20. And in this context, the Lord is giving instructions for the leaders of Israel. How should leaders lead in Israel? Verse 18, he says, you shall appoint judges. Uh, for yourself and officers and all your towns, which the Lord your God has given you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people, right? That is make judgments, legal judgments as leaders with what? Righteous judgment. It's got to be right and true and fair, For every single person, that's how they ought to judge and lead. Verse 19, you shall not distort justice. Why does he got to say don't distort justice? Because he knows that's exactly what's going about to go down, right? That's in the heart of man. You shall not distort justice. You shall not be partial. That means you're treating one group differently than another group. And you shall not take a bribe for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and it perverts the word of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall pursue that you may live and possess the land which the Lord your God has given you. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 17. You shall not pervert justice due to an alien. And in the story of the Old Testament, our English word alien here does not mean some weird bug eyed guy with a giant head that flies in a saucer from outer space, it means a foreigner right? Somebody that's not part of your country and part of your people group, but they're going to come, and they're going to join you and they want to worship the Lord and you got to welcome them and treat them fairly. You should not pervert justice due to an alien or an orphan, nor take a widow's garment in a pledge. Who's getting the short end of justice in the story? It's never the people that are in power or authority or majority. It's the people who are not Deuteronomy 27, verse 19, and I'm just going to keep kicking the dead horse here, so you horse lovers, hang with me for one more second. In Deuteronomy 27, starting in verse 11, the Lord lays out 12 curses for people who will not listen to the voice of the Lord, and love the voice of the Lord, and trust the voice of the Lord, but they want to do their own thing. Verse 10, you shall therefore listen to to the voice of the, uh, of the Lord your God and do his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. And then he said, Cursed is the one who doesn't, and cursed is this other one who doesn't. Verse 17, um, 19, cursed is he who distorts the justice that's due to an alien, an orphan, and a widow. Cursed is the person that twists the justice. Um, and then all the people are supposed to say, Yeah, heck yeah, amen, that's right. Cursed is that person, because we believe in freaking justice around here. Right? We believe in justice for all people orphans, aliens, foreigners, widows, people that are different than us, a different skin color than us, different countries than us. We believe in that. Amen. Why does he have to command all this? And why does he have to go over this justice thing over and over? Because it's in the heart of man not to bring justice to all people. It's in the heart of God to bring justice for all people. He rules in righteousness. And justice—it's not in the heart of man. And so the idea that people in in power and people in authority will get justice, people in the majority, people with extra money will get justice, and people who are not won't—is not a new thing. That's not unique to the United States of America. Man, we're just living it out like kings right now, right? We're just (laughs) owning—we're just owning the problem (laughs) that the Lord talks about here in the heart of man from the beginning. We're just killing it in the no justice for all people department. And again, uh, we may differ on some of the details about the news and there's an important conversation to have about distinctions and nuance between, you know, people that really are being treated with injustice and people who really are getting justice and what they should deserve and people who are voicing legitimate uh, complaints, and like as Jim said, people who are just taking advantage of the situation out of wicked hearts. That's an important conversation, but it really does not take a brain surgeon, a rocket scientist, or a nuclear physicist to read the news and see that we have in our country this very problem that the Lord lays out at the very beginning. We have this problem in spades. It's not new, and as the Lord lays out in His Word, it's not right. It is not right that some would not get justice that's due them. And they the people that are not getting justice have a, a legit right to be really, really angry about it at this point. Because, you know, we have a history in our country of um, a pattern. It's not just, whoops, I did it again. We have a long standing pattern in our country of doing exactly what the Lord commands against. So it's not new, and it's not right, and people in our country right now are are angry, and I don't blame them for being angry about it. Not in one bit. I would be pissed if I were them. The difference is, I'm a lower middle class white guy, and I don't experience the same things they experience. And I'll give you an example. Uh, when Brent and I were first married, I was walking in downtown Vancouver, our church uh, that I was a little <clears throat> I was a little youth pastor at this little tiny church while I was going to Multnomah. Uh, We had four kids in our youth group and I just was on, I just thought it was awesome that at least I was in charge of it and I got to try doing ministry. And I was walking in downtown Vancouver, not far from uh, City Hall or um, no, not City Hall, uh, not far from a youth, um, essentially like a youth correction building. And I'm just walking down the sidewalk, minding my business on a nice sunny day, about two o'clock in the afternoon in downtown Vancouver and two cop cars come up on me with lights on. And as they screech to like literally screech to a halt in the street, they blare their sirens at me and they get the four cops get out of their cars and they're meaning business in my direction. Right. I'm, I'm looking around like, well, I'm just a dude like, well, I'm just walking down the sidewalk and they're looking at me like I'm some trouble. Now, I know I'm some trouble in a lot of ways, but typically not like criminal ways, right? And so this lady cop, like she's apparently the leader of the thing and she gets out and the other three are around and she marches to me with her hand on her gun and she says, I need you to put your hands on the car right now. And I'm like, what? I pause for a minute because I'm not sure what the heck's going on. And she grabs a hold of me and does her awesome ninja police move and she puts my chest on the hood of her car in about 0.37 seconds and I'm face down on the front of a police cruiser with my <laughs> my arms up behind my back right and she cuffs me up for a second and I, I'm kind of like is there a you know is there a problem officer and she gets my you know she reaches in my pocket and gets my ID she runs my ID here's the long and short of it um, I rep, I looked like a kid that just escaped from the youth correctional thing just down the street. I look I fit the description. She's doing her job, trying to take care of that. Now listen, could I have went? Hey, how dare you like throw me against like I haven't done like I could have protested whatever. I, I didn't love it. I'm I I give her every right. I appreciate what she's doing. Like she's just trying to keep the peace and all like that. Um, here's one thing that never crossed my mind in that experience. I'm gonna get treated unfairly never one time crossed my mind that I was going to get shot that she was going to choke me out <laughs> that the three other cops were going to crack me in the head and it just never crossed my mind one time even when I paused at the beginning because I didn't comply right away I stood there for a second going huh like what are you like what are you talking about like I did that I'm like what it just never crossed my mind so I'm not mad because I just didn't get the short end of that. Now, I have a, a friend from high school. She married an African—she's a white girl. She married an Af- African-American guy. And they've been married for as long as Brent and I have been. They're 30 years in. Uh, their grandparents, they, they love Jesus. Their kids are starting in college or finishing college, starting— their kids are my kid's age. Their kids are stellar athletes, stellar students— Their kids are involved in leadership at my old high school. So Jenny's kids, they they go to our old high school. And Jenny has been sharing how she has had to explain to her sons that if you get pulled over by a cop for, I don't know, rolling through a stop sign, you didn't signal. I don't know, you fit the description of somebody we're looking for. She's had to warn her children throughout their growing up period about, What could happen? And so you have to be extra careful and you have to go four extra miles to make sure that you don't get in trouble, that Jeff Olson never would have gotten in trouble for the same thing. Does that make sense? And I'm going to be honest. If I had to explain that to Evan, hey, son, you're a lower middle class white kid. Here's how justice comes down for you. I'd be pissed especially if I saw kids like Evan or guys like me getting the short end of it over and over and over. I'd be pissed. I'd be furious. So I get it. I 100% get it. Okay? So the problem that we're having is nothing new, and it's not right, and the anger that part of our country is feeling is legitimate. Right Now, again, some people are taking anger in a direction that's not. Don't worry. I'm going to address that. So if right now you're going, hey, nobody has the right to take their anger out on stores downtown. I get that, right? I'll get there. Just give me a second, right? That's in the Bible too. I'll get there. Trust me. Just walk with me through this. I get how mad they are. I don't blame them one bit. I would be too. Just I'm white and I just don't ever have this problem, right? Not one time. Protesting in this country is not only legitimate based on the First Amendment in our country, which is neat and cool and all. Uh, I love the First Amendment. I'm all about it. I'm thankful that we have it. But my actual authority is Scripture. And if the First Amendment says you can protest, but the Bible says you cannot protest, guess what we're obeying? We're obeying Scripture, not the First Amendment. The reality, And if the First Amendment says you can't protest, but the Bible says you can, guess what we're doing? We're protesting. And protest is actually in Scripture. And I want you not to think of a time where a crowd rallied and yelled and screamed and lined up against the police in the Bible. I want you to think of a time in the Bible, in the story of Scripture, in which someone somewhere stood up and said, this is not right and it needs to end. In fact, this injustice for poor people and foreigners and widows and this injustice actually isn't right and needs to end can you think of any time in the bible where somebody protested the injustice that they saw going on <clears throat> and I'll, I'll just pause while i clear my throat and have a drink of water while you think about that for a sec Does Esther count? uh so describe the time you're thinking of when Yeah, so she sees an injustice that's about to go down against the Jews. And even though her life is about to be in danger, she steps forward and says, Listen, what's going on over here is not right. Right? And she pleads with the king to like not do that. Yep. Sure. Any any other times that you can think of? Moses. And how do you mean? We let the people out of Egypt. I mean, to me that's an obvious. Yeah, so he speaks for the Lord and says, the slavery of my people is not right. You need to let them go. And Pharaoh looks and laughs and says, who the heck is God to me? And why should I listen to him? And the Lord says, well, why don't I show you who I am to you? And lays out, you know, seven or eight or nine or 12 plagues and frogs and flies and blood in the rivers and all that stuff. And then the death of Egypt's firstborn to prove the point. I, who am I to you? I'm the Lord, actually. That's who I am. Yep. Yep. Any other uh, any other examples where somebody said this injustice is not right? Daniel? Mm-hmm. And what are you thinking of? So I'm thinking of when uh-huh. um, Daniel, when there was a decree, I think it was to not to pray to anybody else but the king. Yeah, you, yep. Got to bow down to the statue. Daniel. yeah, and then Daniel just went home, and he prayed by his window instead of like yeah. praying. Right. He prayed in front of everybody. Yep. Yeah, and then not only did he just pray, he and his buddies, what? They refused to bow down. They actually not only said this isn't right, they lived it out. They rebelled against the unbiblical command of the king, for sure. Any, uh, any other thoughts about protest in the story of the Bible? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's the prophet Nathan when David uh, sins with Bathsheba and kills her husband and he does two of the biggies. Let me give you, let me give you one more. This is in the book of Isaiah chapter 10. And if you're not familiar, Isaiah is basically right in the middle of your Bible So if you turn to the middle of your Bible and then a couple, probably a couple pages to the right, you're going to be in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 10, verses one and two. The Lord says, woe to those who enact evil statutes and those who constantly record unjust decisions, woe to them so as to deprive the needy of justice and rob the poor of my people of their rights uh, so that widows may be their spoil. In other words, people were taking advantage of widows and robbing them and that they may plunder the orphans. The rich were getting richer on the backs of the poor and it wasn't right. And the Lord himself says, woe to them. The Lord himself is a protester. The Lord himself says, this isn't right and it must end. And if you want to imagine in your mind, a group of people holding signs saying this isn't right, this injustice must end. You just go ahead and imagine guys like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Hosea and Joel and Amos and Obadiah and Jonah and Micah and Nahum, right? And Zephaniah, Habakkuk, the prophets. The prophets are always crying out to Israel's leaders. You need to stop sinning. By withholding justice and twisting justice. Bring justice to the poor. Bring justice to all people. Right? The prophets are protesters. Right? They have a legitimate beef and complaint that justice is not being served for all people, and they cry out about it. Is protest fair? Not just oh, sure, it's fair in America. Of course it is. We have the First Amendment. Is it biblical? Of course it is. Someone should stand up with a sign and say, bring justice to our freaking land, all the way around, for everybody. Now, I don't, because I just don't feel the pain, because I'm a middle-class white guy. I just don't feel that pain. So I'm not out in the street yelling and screaming about it. Maybe I should be. But is protest fair and right? Absolutely. Right? And we've seen, you all have shared examples from Scripture. I shared a couple. The Lord Himself And the prophets along with him are examples of protesters, and they're not happy. You cannot imagine the Lord in heaven happy about the injustice. Oh, no big deal. Let's just adjust a few things here. He's pissed. He's mad. And the prophets are too. And I don't blame them. And honestly, I don't blame the people that are mad in our country right now. And now to some of you who are feeling like, yeah, but what about the people that are breaking into the stores? And uh, all right, here you go. Here it is. (laughs) Here it is in the Bible for you too, right? Sinning as a response to sinning is not in Scripture, not in Scripture. So when you sin against me, in the Bible, do I get to sin back against you? You um, were selfish against me and you looked out for your own needs. I'm thinking of Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 to 4 right now. You looked out for your own needs and not mine. And you made sure you got your way in, instead of looking out for me. Do I get to then punch you in the face because I'm mad? Do I then get to one-up you on the selfishness scale? Oh, yeah? Watch me be more selfish than you. Do I get to come over the top and demand and fight and make sure? Nope. Do I get to smile at you in my face uh, with my face but in my heart? hate your guts, and then go talk about what a crappy person you are and how much I hate you to all my friends. Do I get to do that in the Bible? You should all be shaking your head no. Some of you are thinking about it like, I think maybe you do. (laughs) No? No, you don't. What is the biblical response when I'm sinned against? What is the biblical response? Anybody want to jump in here? And I got to teach the Bible more. You guys are slow on this one. And what do I do with your sin against me? Do I hold a grudge and hold it in my heart and nurse it like it's my baby so that it becomes strong and big and what do I what do I do with your sin against me? What if you don't apologize? I'm supposed to forgive you, right? Nod your head yes. Forgiveness. So, the biblical response to being sinned against is not sinning and Stealing people's stuff, destroying people's stuff, which is just another way of stealing, depriving them of it. That's sinning. The anger and hatred in the heart of the people doing that kind of thing is sinning. And in no way, shape, or form is that an appropriate response. Even if you have a legitimate grief, even if your cause is the most righteous, You don't get to respond that way. So you can see where I'm coming from is that we have a problem on all ends of this thing, right? We have a problem in the heart of a particular police officer who does not do justice. Now, nobody loves the cops and the firemen more than I do. They're my favorite. But we got to admit, man, some of these guys are doing some stuff they should not be doing we got a problem in the heart of a police officer. Now we we have a pattern of several of these who's not doing justice. That's a problem. There's wickedness in his heart. There's no love in his heart. There's no justice in that guy's heart. We have a problem in that, in some cases, uh, whole systems of law enforcement will not hold those types of guys accountable for their wickedness. That's a problem. It's a huge problem. We have a problem with, we, you know, we, have, we have a problem with like anger and rage that is not being handled correctly. We have a problem on the far end, as Jim was saying, of people just who are wicked and trying to take advantage. Right? I get that there are some people that are so mad and so angry and they slip up and they say some stuff and you know, like, i can I can see that, but we also have a problem on the far end of it of people just fully being wicked and taking advantage of the situation for their own gain there's a problem all the way around here, and it's the wickedness of the human heart it's there is so little love for our neighbor and even for our enemy on all sides it's a huge problem, and in the Bible, what is the solution? to the problem of no love in our heart for our neighbor and for our enemy. In the Bible, the solution is a transformed heart, right? That people would be given a heart of love. And I want to, again, go back to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, because, you know, the Lord's brilliant. He's infinitely intelligent. He knows all things, and He knows the heart of man. And these problems and solutions are nothing new. In Deuteronomy chapter 28 and 29, essentially Moses says to Israel, "You're going to go, God's going to lead you into the Promised Land, and you are going to. If if you if you love the Lord and walk with the Lord, He'll bless you like crazy. You'll have more cattle and crops than you know what to do with. It's going to be so sweet." If you just love and trust the Lord and walk with the Lord. But I know what's gonna happen, Moses says. And you're gonna go into the promised land and you're gonna forget and reject the Lord and you're gonna love idols and God will curse you. And the skies will become like iron and your cattle will die and your crops will fail. And that is a result of your abandonment and rejection of the Lord and your love for idols and your lack of justice for the... This is the problem that he had already commanded against. There will be wickedness and injustice in the land, Moses says, and God will curse you for it. So all the problems that we're experiencing right now, Moses says Israel is going to pull off right the minute they get into the promised land. And all you have to do is read the story of Joshua and especially Judges, which is brutal, and the story of the kings In which there is no justice in the land. Everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. This is the theme of the book of Judges. There's no king in Israel to bring justice. So God has to promise that a king from the family of David would come in the last day and he would rule with righteousness. The problem in Israel is there is no justice and righteousness because of the wickedness of the people. The Lord says, or Moses says in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, after all that is said and done, you'll go into the land, you'll reject the Lord, you'll worship idols. God will kick you out of the land. And ultimately then in the last day, God will circumcise your heart. He will transform your heart so that you will love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God will give you a heart of love. And wouldn't that solve the problem? What is the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And let's take, let's take Jesus one step even beyond that. Who's my neighbor? Even your enemy. So we have one great problem in our country, right? The the selfishness of those in power and authority and their unwillingness to bring justice to some people around us. And the Lord cries out against it and the prophets cry out against it. And I don't blame some people in our country for being mad and crying out against it. But what is the real solution here? It's not breaking down windows and stealing crap from the mall, burning stuff. What is the biblical solution It's repentance all the way around, and in repentance and in faith, God gives us a new heart, a heart filled with love. This is what I'm thinking about what's going on in our world right now. There are political conversations to be had and laws to be made and criminal justice uh, cases to be pursued and prosecuted, and that's all fair and well and good, and we may negotiate a political solution where all sides kind of calm down a little bit and, and and we get back to, I don't know, maybe we don't get back to normal. Maybe we progress a little bit, but the real solution is the transformation of the human heart so that our country would be filled with people who have repented of their sins and who trust the Lord and who have had their hearts changed from hearts that are self-centered, And in Philippians chapter 2, which now we're going to look at next week, hearts that look out for their own needs, which is not just and right. And they make sure that their own needs are taken care of over other people so that their hearts are transformed to ones that will consider others more important. Consider people that are different more important. Consider their neighbor, even their enemy more important. They would look out not only for their own needs, but for the needs of other people. This is actually the solution to the problem. The world needs the gospel more than ever. (laughs) Maybe not more than ever. I feel like it's different details. Same root problem here, which is why the solution has always been the same. It's the gospel. People need to know that there is hope, not in a political leader. Your guy is not going to vote the right stuff in, and if you vote the other guy or the other gal in, she's not going to solve this problem. Jesus solves this problem as he transforms the human heart from self-centered idle loving and uh, unjust to god-centered and neighbor centered right with a heart filled with love this is the real solution um i am gonna pause there I think that's probably it's probably good uh you you guys get you guys get that right uh I, I hope I hope that felt biblical, not political. Uh, I hope you could feel, I mean, business about this. Like, this is actually really important stuff. And it's important that we as believers shape our response back to all this stuff according to Scripture. Right? It's too easy to be shaped by our political point of view, by our categories for people that disagree, And the teams that we put ourselves on, rather than to have our point of view shaped by Scripture. So, I felt like it was important this morning. Uh, I had a whole other sermon ready to go, and I'll bring it to you next Sunday. Um, But this morning, about 45 minutes before we were supposed to get started, I just felt the Lord going, you got to at least address this in some way. You cannot pretend that nothing's going on and that the Bible doesn't pertain to it. And uh, this is what the Lord gave me in the last 45 minutes uh, that's why I ask you to pray pray for my words i'm gonna i'm gonna stop here and i'm gonna give you a chance to respond with your thoughts uh with what you feel like and what you feel like maybe this means for for real life for us. i'm gonna pause and let you guys have a chance to talk.